God, we pray today that you would open up our hearts, that we would allow for the Holy Spirit, that we will allow Holy Spirit to sit deep within us. That you would lead us on, that you would take us to places that perhaps we've never been in our spiritual growth in our lives, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our businesses, as teachers, as doctors, as whatever it is, as carpenters, whatever we do, Lord, please. Holy Spirit, fill us and lead us on. In Christ's name. Amen. Nathan, thank you. So I wear the same thing pretty much every day, Sunday to Wednesday. I'm just going to tell you right now. A pair of slacks, a button-up, maybe a polo, colorful socks usually. Um, and uh, that's what I wear every day. Here's the reason why. And sometimes Thursday, Friday, it depends on what's going on on Thursday and Friday. The reason why is because I have found that I can meet with pretty much anybody in this attire. Someone can be in a pair of shorts and jeans, and I'm okay with meeting with them. They can be in a suit, and I still don't feel too out of place with them. And so I wear the same thing every time. I mean, different shirts. I have four of them. Rotate them. Um, two pairs of pants. Rotate them. Um, that's as far as I'm going with that analogy. Um, so I, I wear the same thing all the time. It's, I, recently, I've been having to remodel part of my house. It just needed it. 26, 27 years old. It's part of it, right? I'm at that place in a house where you either go, okay, we're selling and moving to something new, or we got to redo something. Anybody been there before? Right? Well, that's where we are. And so we're like, well, we got amazing neighbors, great neighborhood. I can drive to church in about three and a half minutes, and so um, I, I'm going to just redo it all, stay where we are. And we want it to look a certain way. When we dress, we want to look a certain way. Um, when we remodel houses, because we want it to look a certain way, right? I just recognized this year that shag carpet's not in anymore. So it's coming out, right? So it's just that type of thing. And if you just installed shag carpet, I just recognize, I'm sorry, your opinion. That's all right. Um, so we want it to look a certain way. We want our home to look a certain way. The, the vehicle we drive is because we want it to look a certain way, right? Some of you want it to be seen as looking as efficient as possible. And so you drive the 1988 Honda Accord. Nothing wrong with that. Not one thing, because it gets great gas mileage, or you drive a Prius, because you want everybody to say, man, they get crazy good gas mileage, or maybe you just don't care, and you drive a truck, and the tires are, are taller than my children, because you want a certain image with that, right? You want to look a certain way. Here's a question. What do you want your heart to look like? 
That's a big question to me. I mean, we do things about wanting to look a certain way physically. We do certain things to want our home to look a particular way. Right? We drive certain cars, right? For you motorcycle enthusiasts, some of you, you have to be on a Harley. If it's not a Harley, no, you can't get on it. Right? Honda, no way. Right? Because you, you want to you have a certain role, a certain image that comes with that. And I'm picking on some of you right now when I say that. But you want to look and say, how do you want your heart to look? What do you want for your heart to look like? And then what do you do about that? It's easy to change your appearance right now. I could step back a stage. I could change clothes, come back out, and you'd be like, man, you look different. It'd be easy to do. But what do you want for your heart to look like? And then what are you willing to do about it? Today we're looking at a passage. It's Psalm 51. Nathan quoted a portion of it, chapter 10 of verse 50, uh, chapter 51, when he says, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Renew a right spirit within me. But this is, a, this is an intense chapter. I need to go ahead and let you know right now. I feel like we all just need to go ahead and shake it out because it's, it's going to be a workout today. It's an intense chapter. Because right away we learn a tremendous amount. I want to just jump into it. Because this is what he says. He says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. All right, everybody following me already? Who do you have here? The author is going to be David. All right? Here's David. He's which king of Israel, the first or second? Second king of Israel. Here's David, and then you have Nathan. Nathan was a prophet of the Lord, okay? And then you have this person named Bathsheba. Now you need to know certain characters are going to be unfolding here. You have Bathsheba, but also you have Uriah. Uriah was the husband of Bathsheba. You need to recognize this, okay? You all know, you know the story. I hope you do. I'm going to run through it anyway, just in case. But here's David, and it automatically refers back to that. A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So you can go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. You can jot that down if it's not there on the notes already. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And it's something that later on I would encourage you to read through the entirety of it because it'll give a wonderful grounding and foundation for what's taking place. I do want to look at it a little bit right now. Because here's David and Bathsheba, and it tells us, the very beginning is 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says, all of a sudden, what happens late one afternoon, this is verse th uh, 3, David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, and he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, is, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So we know what took place here. David sent for her as king. Bathsheba came. They ended up sleeping together, and I don't, really don't think that she had much of a choice. This was the king. And it tells us later on in verse 5, the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. 
And so what happens right away is David goes, oh no, I need to cover up this mistake, right? How many of us try to manage our sin rather than actually destroy our sin? He's trying to manage his sin, and so what he does is he calls Uriah, and he says, listen, okay, this is someone on the battlefield, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to call him, get him to come, be with his wife, and then we can say that's their child together. But he comes home and says, no, I can't sleep with my wife. All of my brothers in arms, they're not able to do that, and so he won't play along. He's a man of of character, a man of integrity. So then he doesn't know what to do, and so then he does this. Verse, jumping down, verse 14, in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. Here's the king of Israel, second king, right? We know this. Sees Bathsheba, says, oh, that looks nice. I'd like to have uh, that woman come to be with me. She ends up pregnant. He won't play along with the game, so he won't get caught for his sin and everything that he had done. And so then he has him killed. But I tell you today, he's going to be kind of intense. Because the story continues on. What we find here that really summarizes the entire story is 2 Samuel 11, verse 27. And it says, But the thing that David had done, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. That's interesting to me because so often when we think of God, we think of what God could be doing for us rather than how we may be displeasing the Lord. That's why I know for some, it's not going to be a very popular message today. But it is so needed in the church. It's so needed in our lives for us to be in a healthy relationship with God. Finally, David ends up breaking and confessing. Because Nathan comes to him, the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, What have you done? Nathan says, the Lord is going to put away your sin, but you need to know that the child to be born is going to die. So the child that he conceives, right, that that Bathsheba conceives because of David is going to die, but the Lord is going to release his sin. That's a struggle for me. Anybody else? Right? For me, that's a struggle. Uriah is dead. Bathsheba, we know what happens to the child. Deceit and deception and lying is everywhere. And God is going to forgive that? Right? I know we put degrees on sin. We shouldn't, but we put degrees on sin. This is not stealing a pack of gum when you're sick from the store. So much greater than that. So as I'm preparing the sermon, I found myself getting riled up. Some of the people in the office, I took it out on them. Can you believe this? And then all of a sudden, I'm reminded of my own life. And I'm reminded of Romans chapter 3. I want to read this for you. 
We know, hopefully, you've memorized Romans 3, 23, for all I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but it continues on. And it tells us, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Amen. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God gave Christ to make it possible for a judge, a just judge, to not only look over such hideous moral behavior, but to conquer it. And I had to be reminded that, that God wasn't sweeping on. Sweeping the sin of David under the rug, he was conquering the sin of David. And that's what he's done for us. And so finally I calmed down after preparing for the sermon and to, to write it. And then I jumped into the actual verses. And it says this in verse 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. One of the first things that we're learning here, and some people are going to argue, I've, I've, as I've been preparing for this, some would say, man, David didn't even really want to repent and say these things until Nathan confronted him. He wasn't really genuine. Someone had to call him out. He's not sorry for his sin. He's sorry that he got caught. You've heard that before? Well, I think maybe possibly it's, it's Nathan that has stirred his heart, right? And God has used Nathan to do such. And so now he does see with clarity what's taking place and the sin that is before him. And here he is and he's calling it out. And he says, have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me. He appeals to God's mercy. He appeals to his, his compassion, right? That steadfast love, hesed, that we speak about in Hebrew all the time. He, he appeals to that abundant love of God and he asked for God to display his mercy in his life he says wash me thoroughly one of the first things we need to do in our own lives because guys here's the thing we all sin regularly and I've even recognized that I, I don't speak about confessing and the need for confessing enough with my own children and we need to do that we don't speak the words of repentance because why? Today, none of us really sin. We make minor mistakes. But here what you find is this need to come before God, to allow Him to wash us from our sin, our iniquity, and to cleanse us. So we need to pray for pardon. And I'm using that word pardon intentionally. 
Because when we think of the word pardon, we think of pardoning someone for something, from something truly horrific. And so as a result of that, what we've done with the word pardon is we go, well, the small things don't really count. We often think that our sin is measured by how, how severely someone else is hurt by it rather than simply the fact that it was being disobedient to God. He continues on, for I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. He knows that that sin, it's sitting on him, right? He's buried it, possibly wanting to manage it at one point rather than really wanting to, for God to destroy it. And so he's managing it. He knows it's there before him and it sits on him. And every day it's kind of on his shoulders and he's having to carry that. And he says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in sin and iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. One of the very first things that we recognize is, yes, we need to pray for pardon, but we need to confess. Second, we need to confess our sin. He calls it out. Here's the king of Israel calling out and confessing his sin. It's before me. Friends, there are massive ramifications to sin. There are massive ramifications to sin. And it's used in different ways, even in the Hebrew. Uh, the word sin is, is spoken about when crossing a moral line or choosing the wrong path before you. But sin is significant. And when I look at the, the, the history of the church, I really see the church in two different time periods. I really see our own individual lives according to two different periods that we typically are walking in. At times, we are receptive to the Holy Spirit and we're striving to be Christ-honoring. But then in other times, we have had our senses dulled to sin. So either we're allowing the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, fill me, even the song that Nathan was singing before, we allow the Holy Spirit to come into our life and we recognize when Holy Spirit is sitting in your life, you're easy to recognize the sin that's in your life. And he's speaking to you and you're confessing that because you don't want anything to push you further away from God. Because even if it's not what you desire, you know that God's desires are greater than your own desires. And he has greater plans than you could ever ask or imagine. And so you want to chase those things and you're receptive to God coming and pouring into your life. Or your senses have been dulled to the sin that you have. And our sin really doesn't bother us anymore. I know that I don't speak to my spouse well. I know that I, I berate him or her. I know that I'm always nagging on him or her. I know that I don't encourage them. But it's all their fault. No, that's sin.
I know that I allow something other than Holy Spirit to impact my life and to control my actions and to control my words. I know that I'm being greedy. I know that every time God seems to bless me, all I do instead of saying thank you enough, I say give me more. My greatest concern for the church today is that our senses have been dulled to sin. And David knows, he acknowledges, he's sinned against God. He has sinned against Bathsheba. He has sinned against Uriah. He, he has sinned against everybody. He has sinned against the kingdom. And so he calls out to God. This is, this is the, the power and the significance of his understanding of his sin. He then calls out to God not only his confession, he says, purge me with hyssop. We see that in verse 7. And then I shall be clean. And he says, wash me. And some of us need a scrubbing. I've got one of my kids. um, He's a young boy. And so he loves, like, it's in its summer. And so in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, he is outside. And I can't get him to wear shoes. And he's always in the dirt. And he's, like, you know those feet? They're just nasty. So, I mean, I, I, I scrub, I'm like, get in the shower, let's go. And I start scrubbing them. Like, I've got one of those Brillo pads, and like, I'm scrubbing. So then I get the power washer out. I'm just, I don't really do the power washer. The other stuff, I, like, I can't get his feet clean for anything. I'm like, okay, you're finally, you're finally clean enough. We need to go to bed, okay? We'll hang out for about 20 minutes. We're going to jump in bed, read a Bible story, pray together. And, and all of a sudden, within those 20 minutes, he's back outside getting dirty again. He, oh, and you're just scrubbing those feet. Because if he does it on his own, he does this, a little bit of water on top of the head. It might get all the hair wet. And then he says, I'm clean. And I think that's what we, some of us have done with our sin is we just, we're a little bit on top, we're clean. And we need to scrub the sin in our life because we recognize the filth of what that is. He says, purge me with hyssop. Right? Because of the aromas of that plant. It was perceived to have these values of being able to, to heal, Right? This medicinal value of being able to heal. And we find it in other places. We find it in Leviticus chapter 14. There's a ceremony associated with the cleansing of a leper. We find that there. And so now he's calling out and going, cleanse me like that. Make me clean. Wash me whiter than snow. And sometimes we need to go, wow, I've got this sin in my life. And it's not a small deal. And I need God to cleanse me. To wash me whiter than snow. says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. It means that because of sin, if sin is sitting in your life, there's something that is not right about your spirit.
Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Take not your Holy Spirit. Please don't leave me, God. I know the sin is there. I know the sin is great. Please don't leave me, O God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with the willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. And O God, O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. We find in Jeremiah, we find in Ezekiel, we find throughout the Old Testament places where God is restoring to the people a right spirit so that they would confess before God and then be once again in a healthy relationship with Him. And now David is asking for the same. David is asking God to purify his heart. He doesn't want partial cleanliness. He wants full cleanliness. And he says, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Please. Because to be excluded from the presence of God sitting in your life is torture. In fact, this is a good way. Because, I, guys, I know that sin is hard to even speak about, right? But so often um, our mind recognizes it. And what do you do? What do you do when there's sin in your life and your mind knows that your mind recognizes, but your heart doesn't seem to really care? I know it's wrong, but I don't really like. Like you know, it's not you. You're tired of treating your spouse the way you're treating your spouse, but yet you keep doing it because you know it's wrong, but your heart doesn't really let you do anything about it. That's what we're going to have to keep speaking about today because I think that's a lot of people. That's been me before, certainly. But I want to show you some of this passage shows us that we need to pray for grace. It's the third thing that we need to pray for God's grace so that he doesn't leave us. And what it's going to show is this passage shows us some of the effects of unconfessed sin. So if any of these things resonate with you, you'll know that there's sin in your life that is sitting there that needs to be dealt with. Here's one, verse 10. Right? Creating me in a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit with me. You have the wrong spirit. One of the effects of unconfessed sin is you have wrong spirit. Ask your friends if you're conveying the spirit of God and the way that you have a relationship with them. And say, please be honest. I won't be upset no matter what you say. Is, is the way in which we have a relationship with each other, do I have a wrong spirit or do I have a right spirit? Do I have a spirit that's reflecting Christ? Because he says, renew a what? Right spirit within me. means he has a wrong spirit. One of the effects of unconfessed sin is you have a wrong spirit. 
Another thing that you're going to find as you continue in this passage, verse 11, is that you're separated from his presence. David, to me, he, it's not like we typically don't just jump off the cliff. We have slow leaks. <laughs> to me, David had a slow leak in his own life. Scripture tells us the king was not to multiply wives. It tells us that very clearly in the word of God. And yet here he is doing that very thing. He had allowed a sexual bent to come into his life. When he was on the rooftop and he saw Bathsheba the first time, I'm telling you now that was not the first time that he had had impure thoughts. It had built and built and built and built and then boom! The opportunity presented itself, and he took it. So you, one of the effects of unconfessed sin is that maybe you have a wrong spirit. Maybe you're separated from his presence. Also, verse 12, the joy of salvation is gone from you. He says, restore to me. Restore. Give me back the joy of salvation. Give me back the joy of salvation. I have no joy in knowing the Lord. I have no joy in knowing God. It's one of the effects of unconfessed sin in your life. So, no matter what's happening, all you see is the problem rather than the blessing of God. Well, yeah, but... I've got, I know some of those people. No matter what happens, no matter how awesome what God is doing is, they, well, yeah, but. I'm like, do you have any joy in your life at all? Yes, I do, but. Oh. Effect of unconfessed sin is your witness is gone. It tells us in verse 13 that I read. It says, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. You want to tell other people of their wrong. You want to say, no, but God's got more. And he can restore you. He can renew your spirit. And he can create in you a clean heart. And what he has planned for you is so much greater than what you have planned for yourself. Don't you recognize this? And yet you're going, I don't really do that. Why? Because maybe you have unconfessed sin. Your witness is gone. Verse 14, it tells us right here. It says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Your inner song is gone when you have... Uh, that's one of the effects of unconfessed sin. That inner song, that inner joy, that inner life that you have is gone. Your tongue is speaking less and less about what the Lord has done for you and more and more about what you don't have and how you've been wronged and how you've been cheated. And then finally in verse 15, verse 15 says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Your praise is gone. Worship is hard for you. So I, I want to run through these again real quick because I don't think they're on the screen. I, I want to make sure you get it. Here's one of the ways, and I know it's hard to hear, but here's one of the ways you know that there's unconfessing in your life is that you have a wrong spirit. You're separated from his presence. That's verse 11. Verse 12, the joy of salvation is gone. 
Verse 13, your witness is gone. Verse 14, that inner song, that inner song is gone. Verse 15, the praise is gone. The worship is gone. And so he continues on in that very verse. O Lord, open my lips. My mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Listen to this. A broken heart. Guys, he says that's a broken and a contrite heart. You're not going to despise that. Why? Because the Lord respects that. Because that's setting yourself aside and going, you know what? I need to be obedient to God. I know God has more planned for my life. Brokenness is a key in the believer's life. It's crucial to humility. Brokenness is crucial to repentance, to confessing, confession, and coming before others and saying, you know what, I'm sorry, I've done wrong here. I've had a, I've had a wrong spirit. All right, for some of you at work, you're waiting for someone to fail. You're waiting for them to fail so that you can speak about it, probably not to them. That's a wrong spirit. So he calls out. And it's, it's not only now this need to pray for grace. Fourth is this need to promise thankfulness. He says, I'm going to open my lips and I'm going, I promise you God, I'm going to declare praise and thankfulness is really what he's communicating because I know what you delight in, and I give thanks to God. I'm going to give you thankfulness. That's why we often speak here at Chapel Point. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're no longer a victim. You're a what? Victor. Because of what he's done. And you're going to, to declare that thankfulness and that gratitude you have for him. Thankfulness increases the, it, listen to this, please. Thankfulness increases in your life. Thankfulness increases in your life the more you recognize the sin from which you have been saved. Those with little thankfulness believe that they have done little wrong. Ask your friends if they think you're a thankful person. Right? Do you think I, I'm a person who just has, I'm just thankful for who God is and I have this gratitude in my life because of what God has done even in the midst of my sin and he just gives me salvation and he gives me a relationship with Do you think that that's who I am? And if they go, no, you got something to think about. If you're not willing to ask the question, I think you have something to think about as well because it's called humility and having a teachable spirit. He then continues in verse 18 and 19, and he says the following, these last couple of verses. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. 
He's praying for the building up of the walls of Jerusalem. And some could say that's about prosperity or the defenses of the city. But really what I think he's doing is he's praying for the moral defense of God's strength. We need to pray for strength. Not only in the strength of turning away from that which we know is not of God, but we need the strength to be able to pray and to confess our sins, to recognize our sins. And too many of them would, too many of us, we'd rather ignore them than to confess them. Ignoring them does nothing with it. It actually just continually pushes you away from God. We need to confess our sin before God. I do believe that most powerful churches are the the churches that confess because they recognize that whatever God is doing is only because of the greatness of God and nothing else. Confession is the key to life. It is the key to joy. And so, yes, we need to go before him. We need to pray for pardon. We need to confess our sin. We need to pray for God's grace. We need to promise thankfulness. And we need to pray for his strength in our lives, but also in the life of this church. Here's a good way to think about it. It says the following. I'm just going to put this entire thing up here at one time. You can fill in all the blanks at once. It says this. It says confession. Confession. And and by the way, um, I put in some of my understanding as I wrote it so that you absorb it. It says confession. I get it. I did wrong. I agree with you, God. And it hits you in the head. You know you've done it. Confession. And then it says and repentance. Here's the repentance. Okay, I'm going to do something about it. I will forsake it. And it hits you in the heart. That means you're willing now to do something about it. Not only do you acknowledge it, you're willing to do something about it. We know that repentance is really turning away from. That's the word. It's the original language. To turn away from. You've been walking toward this. You keep treating someone in a particular way. You keep having a a wrong spirit, a poor attitude. You keep looking at lust with other people. Right? You get the slow leak in your life somehow. But instead of walking toward the slow leak, you're going to turn around because your heart now wants to do something about it because you know your worship is not there. Your joy is not there. The joy of salvation has left you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because this message should cripple us to ourselves so that we can be restored with God. And it's this, this confession and this repentance, it leads to forgiveness in our lives. And it's this new opportunity to have influence. Guys, here's the thing. The reason we so hate this type of message is very simple. This to- not even this message, but this topic is very simple. It's because we hate feeling guilty. And we've sold God short. Because the forgiveness of God doesn't lead to, for, to just to guilt. It leads to freedom. 
This isn't about feeling guilty. This is about having freedom in Christ and experiencing His forgiveness and being overwhelmed at what He has rescued us from. I don't care how many times you've screwed up with your spouse. I don't care how many things you've done wrong. God can restore that marriage. It doesn't matter how many poor decisions you have made. It doesn't matter how many times you've been a jerk to someone. God can restore that relationship. God can renew our spirit. This is not about living in guilt. This is about living in a life of forgiveness. Some of us get stuck in the guilt, and that causes us to not have the courage to actually confess. Because we don't like the way that feels. Yes, we need to have that conscience. This Holy Spirit coming, you know. So when he tells us 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We don't have to live in guilt because of that. We get to live in forgiveness because of that. And, and God demonstrated his mercy to David. He restored him back through the joy of salvation. Guys, the, the Psalms, here's Psalm 51. The Psalms were a songbook for the New Testament church. I can hear them right now in homes scattered throughout the land calling out their confession to God and renewing the joy of their salvation of which they had discovered because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let it be our songbook. Let it awaken your heart. Romans 7, 24 and 25 says, Wretched man that I am. Words of Paul, right? Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. May we serve the law of the Lord. And so then we come back and we camp out where I went earlier. What do you do when your mind says, Oh, I know I've got this in my life. I know it's there. But your heart says, I don't want to do anything about it. Anybody else been there before? Just let me know. Raise a hand. Anybody been there? Anybody have blood in your vein? Pumping through your heart. What do you do? What 
What do you do when you don't actually have remorse over your sin? But you don't understand what they've done to me. I can treat them however I want. It's not as bad as, it's not, what I did to them is nearly as bad as what they did to me. Anybody? So you don't even have remorse over your sin. What do you do when you don't even have remorse over your sin? When you really need to be calling out, why are you downcast, oh my soul? And here's the answer. You ready for the answer? I'm going to give it to you. We need to sit under the waterfall of God's grace and mercy. Because the irony of this type of message is not how hard it is. Because that's what we label it as. The irony is that it is actually freeing. It's liberating. When you sit under the waterfall of God's mercy and God's grace that says, I can, listen, I can save David. I can save you. There's nothing you can do that's too great. The problem is even in the small things, you keep bottling, up, bottling those things inside. You're not even giving them to me. And he's saying, give it to me. Give it to me. I can take it. I can handle it. Sit under a waterfall of my grace and my mercy. I will flood your life with goodness. Then you will know the joy of salvation. Then you're going to know the joy of the freedom in Christ. And too many of us are living in captivity. Run. Break the chains of captivity. Live into and just run into the grace and the love and the mercy of God. Let it flood your life. Sit under his waterfall. And say, bring it, O Lord. Flood my marriage, my relationship, my colleagues, my friendships, my finances. Flood me, God. I know you can restore me. I know that you can renew me. I know that you can refresh me. Bring me the joy of your salvation. May I live in your presence. May I confess my sin. Call it out to God. Don't let it sit. You know when it's there. Proverbs 28, last verse for you, I promise. Maybe. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And so this morning, what we'd like to do is to give you an opportunity to confess and to come before God. We're literally, I'm going to ask some of our elders, uh, any of our elders and their spouses, if you could come forward and just stand across the front. I know that some of us are crazy uncomfortable with this idea, but we want you to come and whether you want to speak or pray, have, you can just walk up to one of them and say this. Go ahead and stand up if one of my elders or the spouse. Please come forward. Thank you. Honey, come on up. That was my wife. That's not her name. 
And I know that we can be very uncomfortable with this. And I know that some of these guys just may stand here the whole time. But we're inviting you to come confess your sin because the passage, the word of God is clear to us. And you may want to walk right past him and just come kneel before God and say, Lord, I know. I, I, my heart's not there. I'm not in a place of remorse, but I want to be there. God, please take me there. Allow me to know what I need to be repenting from. And I want to give us the opportunity as, as these guys just sing and as they declare who God is, the need that we have for the Lord. Can we take the next five or six minutes and just confess our need for God? To stop worrying about what everybody else thinks of our sin and recognize that our sin has already been paid for. And so let's take that opportunity now. Let us stand together. Let me pray. God, we pray that you renew a right spirit within us. Because some of the marriages in this room today, they need to come and declare their bitterness and anger. God, there are some who they know what they're doing is not of the Lord. but they need for you to put remorse and sorrow in their life because they know that that's separating them from who you are. God, speak to us. God, speak to us. Holy Spirit, fill us. May this church be a church of confession and repentance because we know the result of that is being a church of praise and worship. In Christ's name, amen.